I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible. Let's turn together to Philippians once again in the New Testament. We're in Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, just want to invite you to be back in here on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock for our night of worship. It's going to be a family night of worship. It's going to be a fun time of exalting our Savior together Wednesday at 6. And for any of the men that are here or watching online that were nominated to serve as deacons at Liberty Baptist, and you got a letter from me, our orientation meeting is Wednesday night after the night of worship. So just be mindful and remember that it's coming up this week. Now, as we go to Philippians chapter 3, last week, Brian kicked off chapter 3, and he did a masterful job navigating us through verses 1 through 11. He got out of the gate, uh, asked a question that was quite convicting. What would you give in order to gain Jesus, the greatest treasure of heaven? What would you give in order to gain Jesus? And, and as uh, we studied and unpacked verses 1 through 11, we realized that the apostle Paul said, I give everything. I, I'm going to give up any achievement of my past any work of the flesh, any self-righteousness, I count that as loss that I may gain Christ. Now, though I was not here in person with you last week, at 6.15 a.m. on the Kenai Peninsula, I had my, my apple open and on my laptop, I was joining you in worship. And when Brian started reading the text, I just said, thank you, Jesus. I did not design that it would be the text of mutilation and circumcision that Brian would get to unpack and preach for you, but it was. And when I realized that afresh and new, I said, thank you, Lord, help Brian to do justice to this. And he did. And so I appreciate Brian covering verses 1 through 11. We're going to pick up there and kind of overlap uh, where he left off and where we would start up. And Brian asked this question last week, and I felt it very convicting as, as I considered my own heart. What is your obsession? And he talked about that magnificent obsession. And again, the example of the Apostle Paul is that his magnificent obsession was Christ and Christ alone. In fact, verse 10 is where we will pick up, but I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. And verse 10 is where Paul says, that I may know him. So if you have your place, Philippians 3, and if you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of God's Word by standing as I read aloud and ask that you follow along. We're going to go back and start with verse 7, read through verse 14. In verse 7, Paul said, "'But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ.'" What was he willing to give up in order to gain? There it is. "'Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law.'" but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What we must do, we must press on. We'll see that in Paul's life, and may the Holy Spirit show us how we do that in our life. Let's pray. Father, we need your Spirit to guide our thoughts, keep us focused, to guide our understanding of your Word, and we pray that you'll renew our minds and revive our step. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we read that passage from Philippians chapter 3, we realize that Paul never got over being confronted and converted on that road to Damascus when the resurrected, glorified Christ intercepted his life and he surrendered to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was never the same. In fact, he set out on a mission at that point that he would pursue Christ with all that is within him, he would pursue Christ to know him and to live his life for his glory. The main message in the passage that we're going to unpack this morning is we press on. In hard times, we press on. In uncertain times, we press on. In perilous times, we press on. In victorious times, we press on. And so if you have your sermon notes in print, or either pull them up on the app of the LBC app, uh, have them digital. Here's number one. We press on so that we may know him. That's what Paul is, is telling us in verses 10 and 11. We press on that we may know him. At this point, when Paul was inspired of the Holy Spirit to pen this letter from house arrest in Rome to these believers in Philippi, it had been about 30 years since that Damascus Road experience. One thing that had not grown complacent or dull to Paul was that relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, as a believer, he says, my desire is that I may know him. He is not saying that I may know him as if I don't know him, but because I know him, I want to know him more. I want to know him. I want to be with him. And so he was passionately pursuing Christ. And that's the way it works in our relationship with a living Savior. The more we really know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we want to know him. It is just a cycle that the more we know who our Savior is, the more we fall in love with Him because we understand grace a whole lot more. And the more we love Him, the more our desire is for Him to know Him better and to desire to please Him with our life of obedience. And so Paul is praying from the longing of his heart, I want to know Him, not just intellectually, I want to know Him relationally. I want to know His power at work in my life. I want to know the change that He he brings from my thought process to his that my life may look more like him than it looks like the apostle Paul. I want to know him. In fact, Jesus said similar things. He said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
The reality of knowing Christ is the main business in the life of the child of God. And so I just wonder how many of us wake up in the morning and really have that pursuit of knowing Christ in the forefront of our mind. And it's not an opportunity for me to condemn and make you feel guilty because I'm asking that question to me too. How many times do I wake up and it's to know Christ is first and foremost in my thoughts? I pray that it will become every day. I pray that it will be all-consuming to know Him more because if that is my desire and my thought process when I wake up, then I'm going to invest some time to get to know Him through His Word more and more every day. And so Paul is just praying for that relationship to grow deeper and grow wider and, and grow more transforming in his life to know Him. He gives us some phrases that define really what it means to know Him by experience, to know the power of His resurrection, to know the fellowship of His sufferings, and to be conformed to His death. Let's unpack those three things. When we really know Jesus, we know by experience the power of His resurrection. That power is the power of almighty, all-powerful God. That is the power that on the third day after Christ hung on the cross, breathed his last breath, was taken off the cross, placed in a borrowed tomb, and it was sealed with a big stone and a signet from the Roman seal, that that power on the third day, early in the morning, before it even got daylight, it shook the earth, rolled the stone away, and revealed to earth by the power of Almighty God, Jesus was raised from the dead. That resurrection power is what raises us from the dead as guilty sinners. In fact, Ephesians 2 And verse 1 and following, Paul reminds us, but you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God raised us up in Christ. So he brought us from death to life in Christ. That's the resurrection power. So there are two phases of resurrection power in your life and mine today as children of God. First of all, it's the phase of conversion, and that is God raising us from death to life in Christ. There is no other way for dead, guilty sinners to be given life except by the name and power of Christ. That when we realize we're guilty sinners, when we realize we're in need of a Savior, when we realize we are unable to save and rescue ourselves, when we surrender to the authority of Lord Jesus, when we call upon His name to forgive and to save, He does, and the power that is resurrection power raises us up from death to life, and the Holy Spirit of God abides within every child of God. So number two... Not only at conversion do we experience being raised to life and resurrection power, but in our sanctification, we are continually day by day being renewed, transformed by resurrection power. When we at Liberty talk about the measures of a disciple, our sanctification process of growing to be like Jesus in character and conduct. Our commission is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Well, what in the world is a disciple? A child who knows God, a student who lives changed, 
a friend who loves others, a helper who gives generously, a messenger who goes boldly, a guide who shows the way, the work of the Holy Spirit of God, that resurrection power is what enables us to grow up into that measure of a disciple. We can't do that by ourselves. And so the good news is we are enabled by the resurrection power of God to grow up into Christ's likeness. And the reason that that's true is because that's the way God designed it. And so Paul understood, I was cursing the name of Jesus. I was persecuting the followers of the way. I hated them, wanted to stamp out the movement, but this living Christ apprehended me. This living Christ gave me life, and now I give my life for his glory. And so how do we know him? Through his resurrection power. How do we know him? Through the fellowship, we like to skip this part, of his sufferings. That word fellowship is koinea. It's familiar to us if, as we study fellowship in the New Testament. It means to have in common. And Paul says, for the child of God, we have in common the fellowship of his sufferings. Hey, dear believer, we cannot be followers of Christ and not have fellowship in his sufferings. You can profess to know Christ and not really know Christ and not have fellowship in his sufferings, but when we truly know Christ and our life has been radically transformed by Christ and we begin to live our life differently because of the calling of children of God to repent from sin and to follow in obedience the Lord Jesus Christ, our life becomes different. It's, it's salt in the midst of the world in which we live. It's light in the midst of darkness. Our life is set apart for obedience in Christ. Are you with me? And when we choose Christ and to walk in the way that he has called us to live, then it's going to be counter-cultural. When we choose to embrace the biblical definition of marriage, it's not what the culture says. When we choose to embrace the identity of what gender means in a biblical mindset, it's not what our crazy culture is saying. When we choose to understand God's design for biblical marriage and one man, one woman for life and that God hates divorce, our culture is broken in sin and it's going to be counterculture. When we live our life not for selfish ambition and desires, but for the sake of Christ and investing in others, that's a God thing. That's not a cultural thing. And so when we are living in the power of his resurrection differently in this lost pagan world, we will be opposed as Christ was opposed. We might even be hated as he was hated. They nailed him to the cross. So don't be surprised that you go through trial and tribulation, even rejection at times when you stand up for Christ. But it is worth it. Paul says, all right, we know him through the resurrection power, through the fellowship of his sufferings. But there's another phrase there that uh, we need to wrestle with a little bit. And that is through being conformed to his death. Write down Romans 6, kind of foundation for what Paul is saying. Being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection is the reality of every child of God. We are united in Christ. That's our, our identity. That's our, our reality. 
but choosing to deny self and follow Christ is a daily process. Choosing to die daily to selfish ambition in order to live for Christ's mission is being conformed into the image of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. I am raised, you are raised as believers to walk in the newness of life. We have a new life in Christ. We can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God so that we do not have to offer the members of our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. Now we live differently. We can offer our lives back to God as a living sacrifice and our members as instruments of righteousness for His glory. And Paul says, I want to know Him more. Oh, I want to know by experience the power of His resurrection changing me day to day. And as the power of His resurrection changes me, I counted a joy. I even rejoiced that I might be opposed for the sake of Christ. But I also want to know him more so that daily I make the right choice to die to self so that I can rise to Christ. What a beautiful example in front of us. What a convicting example that is in front of us. May we hear what verse 5 in chapter 2 says, again, to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that walk of humility, of emptying self for the sake of others. And Paul went on and he had another phrase there, and he said, all this knowing Christ that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is written kind of strange in most of our translations. The New King James says, if by any means... I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Some may say, if somehow I may obtain. There's a note of uncertainty there. Now, let's be clear. Paul was not uncertain about the resurrection from the dead. He had seen the resurrected king. He understood the resurrection was a reality of which Christ was first fruits. What he is saying there is that I'm going to attain the resurrection from the dead. I just don't know how. And I just don't know when. Whether I attain the resurrection of the dead or from the dead without dying a physical death and to receive that resurrected glorified body or whether I die physically and receive that resurrection after that. I don't know. Somehow, some way, I will experience that resurrection from the dead. You and I as children of God are guaranteed that what God began in us called salvation. He continues in sanctification. He will complete in glorification that you and I also will be raised bodily in a glorified state in order to experience eternity with Jesus. That's good news. And Paul says, we press on that we may know him. Now, let me ask you, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh, dear God, I want to know you more. Oh, dear God, help me see and experience the power that is resurrection power raising me to be more like Christ. Oh, God, help me to rejoice and count it a joy if I fellowship in the sufferings of Christ because I'm living for Jesus. And help me daily be conformed to the death of Jesus, that I am buried with him in baptism, but raised to walk in the newness of life, that my life may count for Jesus. 
Here's a simple exercise that I want to give you for this week. Every, every day this week, just go to Philippians 3 and pray verses 10 and 11. Pray through them. God, help me to know you more. Not intellectually only, but by experience and by the power of God at work. Help me not to pout and worry and fear and complain and whine and murmur when I'm opposed because it's going to happen if I'm in Christ. Help me count it all joy. And help me to keep my eyes on what is yet to come. I will be with Jesus. Remember Paul's motto in verse 21 of chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Number two on your notes, we press on because we have not yet arrived. Verse 12, we have not yet arrived. It will concern some of you. You thought you're there and you're not. Neither am I. Neither was Paul. Apparently, he thought some might have thought he had a ego of thinking he was there. Maybe they thought too highly of him. Maybe Paul experienced what some pastors might experience is that people around them may put them on a pedestal that they're different than everybody else. I guarantee you the apostle Paul nor any spiritual leader or pastor is no different than you are. We get up in the morning just like you do. We battle with sin just like you do. Here's what Paul's saying. I might be choosing to walk with Jesus, but I want you to understand I'm the chief of sinners and I'm not there yet. It's not that I've attained what is yet to come in Christ. It's not that I've been perfected. Paul understood sinless perfection was not going to happen on the face of the earth. That's when we see Jesus face to face. So he gets out of the gate and he says, it's not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. I'm not. I realize God is still working on me. I remember growing up, there was a magnet on our refrigerator. Maybe you saw the saying or in print, or maybe that magnet on your refrigerator. Be patient with me. Why? God's not finished with me yet. That's a good saying, not bad. It's just a reminder that, hey, we're a work in progress. We, we, we are growing up to be more like Christ. We don't have it all figured out. We still have flaws, we still have imperfections, but we are on a journey of growing to be like Christ. No matter how many years that we have known Jesus, no matter even our spiritual mentors, and you can name any biblical hero identified in the Bible outside of Jesus, they all have flaws and imperfections. They didn't arrive while they were on earth, neither will we. But that's not an excuse to be complacent. If anything, follow Paul's example. Because I have not yet arrived, I press on. I pursue passionately. My one obsession in life is Christ and Christ alone. It ought to make us pursue him even more because we know we don't have it all together. And we have not yet arrived. Paul's example is I press on. It means to run after. It means to follow after means to aggressively run after, to aggressively pursue. Two images in the Greek come to mind. One is a hunter pursuing his game. Since both season came in yesterday, I could go off on that, but I won't. The other is the metaphor that Paul loved using. It's the runner running the race. It's the Olympic game. It's the mindset of that runner that is pressing on in perseverance in this race that is not an easy race. It's a race that has its challenges. It's a race that demands endurance, but it's a race that he is running. 
and he's pursuing. And you can picture that runner as Paul pictures him straining and reaching as runners come around. And if you've ever been to a track and field or uh, uh, meet and, and watch longer distance running, when they make that final round and they see that end in sight, something changes. The adrenaline starts pumping a little bit more with your heart beating faster. Your stride gets a little longer. Your gait gets a little faster and your arms are pumping harder and you are running with your eyes fixed toward the finish line. That's the, the picture Paul is painting. I'm not there yet, but I'm on a journey. I can almost see the finish line. I don't know whether they're going to release me or kill me, but however it comes, I'm going to attain that resurrection from the dead. I will be face to face with Christ. I can almost see him now. I am running. And it's a call not to be complacent, but it's a call to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul was running spiritually to catch the very thing for which Christ had already obtained for him. Christ died in order to rescue the Apostle Paul, you and I. Christ died in order to transform us from sinful people that we are ultimately into his likeness. And what God started at salvation, he continues in our life. Therefore, we press on, press on to know him, press on to experience his power, his resurrection power at work within us. We press on in the sufferings and hardships. We press on denying self in order to follow after Christ. We do so because we are not there yet. Number three, the last two verses, 13 and 14, the apostle Paul says, we press on to pursue the prize, the final prize before us. But one thing I do, he didn't say two, he didn't say three points in a poem. He said, this is one thing. It was simple to the Apostle Paul. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He said it for a third time, not there yet, hadn't arrived. But one thing I do, single-minded focus. When he woke up in the morning, there was one thing first and foremost on his mind. That was Christ. When the changing of the guards happened as he was under house arrest and they changed guards every shift, there was one thing on his mind. I wonder if this guy's heard about my Jesus or picking up the conversation where he left off last time. When he put his head on the pillow or rock or concrete, whatever he had, there was one thing on his mind. That was Christ. When he was penning this letter, there's one thing on his mind to encourage believers struggling, going through hardship and persecution when life wasn't easy. This one thing I do. And it's verse 14 before we hear Paul say what he does. I press on. But this one thing I do. He's kind of left hanging there. There's some qualifying phrases that tell us how to do what he said he is, is what he's doing. I press on. How do you press on? Number one, forgetting, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting those things which are behind. It's an interesting word there. It can be to forget and not remember any longer, but there's probably a softer definition that is in the context right here. Paul did not forget his past. In fact, he just gave us a spiritual resume that Brian went over last week. 
He remembered every bit of that pedigree and that resume, his heritage and and the righteousness that was a self-righteousness that came through the works of the law. But he realized that fell short. That could not save him. It would always fall short. And Paul understood his heritage could not save him just because he came from good stock, just because he was educated well, just because he was faithful to the law, the best that a sinner could be. That all fell short. That's what he counted as loss, that he may gain Christ. And so one thing Paul is saying, what I had in the past that I would count as gain, now I count as loss, and I'm not going to allow that the, the successes of my flesh in the past to hinder my pursuit of Christ today. There's a lot of good old Baptists that like to talk about the good old days. And dear Baptist brother and sisters in Christ, If we're stuck looking back, talking about the good old days, it means that we're not walking in obedience in the power of the resurrected Christ today. Because the good old day for every child of God is right here, right now, in the presence of a living, resurrected Savior, enabling us to live for His glory. Paul said, I'm not going to let anything that was, might have been to my credit in the past influence me in a negative way to pursue Christ passionately today. But number two, not only will I not allow the, the reminder and remembrance of success, but I'm not going to allow failures of the past to hinder my pursuit of Christ today. We need to hear this. The enemy loves to hit replay in our life of sinful failure. There is not a person, including looking at me, that has not failed miserably in sin and does not on a daily basis. But here's what Paul knew. The power of the blood of Jesus has rescued him and brought him from death to life. The sufficiency of the atoning blood of Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, Paul understood, I can count forgiveness as done. It is promised and God has forgiven past, present, and future sin. I am a child of God redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I am not going to let any sinful failure of the past to hinder in a negative way to hinder my pursuit of Christ today. God loves to use messed up people. Just read the Bible. And God desires to use you in a greater way in his kingdom work for his glory. So Paul says, I'm not going to allow any remembrance of anything in the past to have a negative influence on my pursuit of Christ today. But he doesn't stop there. He said, I'm going to reach forward for the things ahead. And this is the painting of that picture again of that runner stretched out trying to cross the finish line. Full speed ahead, every fiber of the being leaning forward so that when they cross that finish line, they can finish well. Paul says, with everything within me, I reach forward on a daily basis to that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the prize? For Paul, Christ Oh, to be in Christ was good, but to be in the presence of Christ was even better. To be growing, to be like Christ is good, but to be 
like Christ is even better. For Paul, he longed to be in the presence of Jesus. That upward call is a heavenward call. It's an upward call in God, in Christ Jesus. It's a call that we receive salvation. It's a call that we receive to serve and invest our life on mission with the Lord. It is a call that we receive to run with endurance the race that is set before us in the mission called the Great Commission that God's given the church, that we are to go as we're going and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Paul says, I am forgetting and I am reaching for the future so that in the present I can press on in a passionate pursuit of Christ. That's a lot. Paul is sharing his story, his testimony. That because of God's grace and God's goodness of rescuing the chief of sinners, he's compelled to know this Christ more. He desires resurrection power more. He counts it a joy to suffer in fellowship of his sufferings. He desires to get Paul out of the way so that he can obey Christ. And the way that he runs and presses on is to have a single focus. This is one thing, one thing I do. This is who I am. And when I get this one thing right, then I can be the person I need to be in every other role that I have. The only way that I can be the husband I need to be is to get that one thing right. The only way that I can be the dad that I need to be is to get that one thing right. The only way that I can be a granddad that I need to be is to get that one thing right. The only way that I can be the pastor that I need to be is to get that one thing right. This one thing, oh dear church, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. It's not an easy journey, but Paul says, stay focused. It's just this one thing I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's your one thing? If we were to ask those closest to you, what do you live for, what will they say? Adrian Rogers once said, what you go after here will determine where you go after here. What are you going after? There's only one thing that's going to last. One thing. Do we wake up in the morning with the pursuit of Christ on our minds? Are we at that stage of life that we've done all we think we need to do for the Lord so we just rest until He takes us home? Babe Ruth said, you cannot win today's games on yesterday's home runs. And the Braves proved that you cannot win today's games on yesterday's home runs, right? We're not in retirement mode. There is no such thing. We press on. So let me ask you this. What one change could you make today in order to pursue this one thing that matters most? John Maxwell in his leadership conference said one time, he said, what you're going to become tomorrow will be determined today. So your tomorrow could be different 
than your today by what you choose, this one thing. What one thing with your time management could you do, make a commitment on today, that will have impact tomorrow? Paul says, I want to know him more. Remember that? The more we know him, the more we love him, the more we love him, the more we want to know him. That's the prayer that I may know him. You know why? Because then I'm going to do what I have to do to get up and learn more about him through the word, through prayer. This one thing, to know him more, and when we know him more, we want to invest our life for his glory, and we want to be obedient in and through the life of his body called the church. And not only did he save us, but when the Holy Spirit came in and and abides within us, we're the temple of God, he gave us gifts, and those gifts are not to take to heaven with us and not use on earth, but these gifts are to be deployed in and through the body of Christ. So what do we need to be doing with time management to invest in the things that matter most. And if that's not hard enough, time and talent, what about your treasure? Does does the path of your money, your treasure, have any indicator of Christ being important? In fact, I'm going to bear down a little bit harder. For the child of God, we are to be good stewards of everything that God has given us to be stewards over. That includes our personal finance. In fact, biblical stewardship teaches that we recognize God's the owner of all things, and then we are to invest back first fruits, minimum of 10%, to the Lord through His body for the sake of the Great Commission. I didn't make that up. God said it. I tried to live that out. So let me just lean in a little bit. If you as a child of God are professing that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, then if your finances are not giving any indication of Jesus being in your life, then you need to make something change. Zero giving to the mission of the gospel is unacceptable for a child of God. I don't look at our personal finances in the church. I ask for trends. I'm too fleshly to see what people give and don't give. I got enough to handle with what I do. But I can promise you this. My finances are going to send a message that he's the owner of it all. Maybe that growing knowledge to know him more, whatever it takes. Just pray that prayer, verses 10 and 11, and see what one thing the Holy Spirit will lead you to do to be obedient. One decision changes a lot of things. Changes you, but it changes people around you. And it changes gospel influence through you for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us understand what you want us to do. Help us to know that Jesus is worth whatever you call us to do.
And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.